chapter 19. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch, held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. God, as we come together to your word this evening, as we consider here this moment on the cross, our King crying out victory in the moment of death, God, would you do a work in our heads, our hearts, our very lives this evening? Bring a great encouragement and conviction and comfort that here at the cross lies our salvation, full, final, and forever. And God, may our hearts be filled with wonder and worship. May our lives reflect. Reflect your glory and grace. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. It is finished. Not it is possible. It is in progress. It is finished. And we cannot add anything to a finished work. We are just meant to enjoy it. Whenever we try to add anything to a finished work, we only will go about diminishing it. Can you imagine someone wanting to add a little bit more light to Van Gogh's masterpiece, Starry Night, because they thought it was a touch too dark? Or maybe some producer comes along and wants to remake a beloved movie from your youth. What are they thinking? Or a friend who wants to put aftermarket performance parts on his Honda Civic. No. No. Just let the Civic be a Civic. Sure, we can... We can certainly put things on completed works, from paint to spoilers, but that doesn't mean we're actually adding anything. No, no. A finished work instead is meant to be beheld. We are to behold Van Gogh's starry night in awe and wonder. We are to appreciate the brilliance of the original Red Dawn from the 1980s. And we are to lovingly enjoy those 32 city miles a gallon in our Honda Civic when we're running around doing our errands. 
that which is finished is to be enjoyed. To be enjoyed. The cross of Christ is a finished work that needs no added thing. Not from you, not from me. It is a masterpiece to behold. And as we think and set our heads and our hearts on that this evening, as we behold it together, I want to ask two questions. I want to ask two questions that are crucially important for all of us in this room or those who are watching online. And question number one is, if we're talking about something that's finished, what is finished? What is finished? And if it's finished, whatever that may be, how then are we to go about enjoying it? How do we enjoy it? What is finished? How do we enjoy it? First question, what is finished? The short answer, most remarkably, most incredibly, most gloriously, most graciously, is this. The plan of redemption is finished. God's purpose and promise to save is finished at the cross. When Christ cries out, it is finished, the plan is, has been accomplished. It has been fulfilled in His life and His death. All that was required for redemption was, get this, fully supplied. So supplied that in that crying out, Jesus says, it is done. Jesus did it all, and He knew this. He had an important time of prayer before his betrayal, mock of a trial, his beating, his cross. And in that time of prayer with the Father, the Son who took on our humanity, prays these words in John 17, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus came on purpose. Jesus arrived to fulfill a plan, a plan set forth by the Trinity, by God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, a plan to redeem sinners. No other passage in the Bible, at least I don't feel like there's any other passage in the Bible, peels back this plan of the Trinity quite like Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14 is one long, incredibly, gloriously amazing sentence. Now in your English, it's many sentences and it's several paragraphs. It's just one in the original. One cascading Niagara Falls amazing display of God's 
gracious sovereignty and plan and purpose and accomplishment and application of this thing called redemption. We could spend the rest of our night just camped out there. And so that's what we're going to do. No. (laughs) But I do want to highlight a couple of verses. Consider with me Ephesians 1, 7 through 9. In Him, that is in Jesus, in Jesus on that cross, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. That's overwhelming. And that's not even half of it. Jesus is fulfilling that and more. And when He says it's finished, He's saying redemption, it is finished. Forgiveness, it is finished. The lavishing of grace, it is finished except it's a a spring that's unending. It's overflowing, but it's finished. There's no more that you're waiting on. This whole making known God's plan to all of humanity, it's finished. Here it is. It's arrived. And it is fully completed. All of it finished in Christ. All of it. Every drop of it. Finished. And in that finishing work of Christ, this most incredible transaction occurs at the cross. It required a penalty to be paid for a people to be saved. And Jesus paid the penalty in full measure. There's there's no note hanging over your credit. There's no lean against your soul. Jesus paid it in full. All of it. And now this plan, this most incredible plan was hinted at and and promised and developed and progressed and revealed through the pages of Scripture and the promises of God given to His people. It just kept building up as you read your Old Testament. This most incredible plan that that one would come and rescue God's people. Isaiah 53 was read earlier and it spoke to the penalty pain work of the promised Savior that would come by His wounds. We are healed. But what was so fascinating at the very beginning of this passage in Isaiah talking about this suffering servant who would come and take on all the responsibility of redeeming the people. What was said about this suffering servant is first described as an overwhelming success. It's a promise described as a success. Get this, Isaiah 52 verse 13, which is the beginning of that incredible passage that we heard from earlier Isaiah 52, 13 says this, See, my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. God, in the midst of promising this most incredible restoration and redemption, 
promises it in the language of victory and success and accomplishment. He's so certain and so sure that his servant will do the job and pay it in full and accomplish the plan. Amazing. So certain, so complete, so perfect is the saving, finished work of Christ that nothing can be added to it if that were even possible. Nothing can be added to it. There's there's nothing left. He paid it all. He fulfilled the plan. So the sinner who comes to the cross through faith finds there at the cross a treasury of grace that pays in full the debt of all our sins. That is finished. Jesus paid it all. There's not one droplet left for you, sinner, clinging to that cross, believing in that Savior. There's not one droplet left for you. So what do we do with that? How do we go about enjoying that? A finished work is to be enjoyed. A masterpiece is to be beheld and gloried in. So what do we do? Well, first, first, before we really answer that question, we need to sort of give a heads up here. You will never enjoy this finished work if you think there's still more to do. I'll say that again. You will never enjoy the finished work of the cross if you still think there's more to do. Perhaps you've thought that salvation has worked like this. Jesus brings 97% to the table and you bring 3%. Or maybe you're a little later in life, you're You've experienced life and you realize 3% is still quite a bit. So Jesus brings 99.97% and you bring 0.03%. It doesn't matter where the decimal is, honestly. It's still too much. But perhaps deep down, underneath, maybe you won't overtly say that that's how you think and feel and, and wonder that this is the way this works, this whole religion and Christianity and church stuff. Like, Jesus does a lot, but i got to do some too. It might be operating under all of that. It might be operating deep in your heart and in your soul. And, and so you think if you just bring 3% or 0.03% of good to the table, that if you could just add that little bit left, then you will be good with God. I want to say a few things about that. It makes the cross a starting point rather than a finishing line. A starting point of a race that you're to run in order to get to where God would want you to go. So you're going to just exhaust your life chasing after something that you don't even realize that was the finish line. Where are you going? Come back. Come back. It's done. It's won. The race has been won. Jesus won it. 
The victory, it's ours. It's right here. It's at the cross. This isn't the starting point. It's the finish line. Come into the circle. This is where the victors go. Come on in here. Stop running. When we think like that, we, we carry with ourselves two gross underestimations and one gross exaggeration. And I guess we could use the word gross there in all of its layers of meaning. <laughs> but two gross underestimating aspects are at work in our heart when we think this way. The first is this, we underestimate the scope of God's plan of redemption. We underestimate how big it is. We underestimate the the vastness of it, the purpose of it, the plan of it. Do you realize that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, made a plan to save sinners before God created time? Think on that one for a bit. Before there was a time stamp to this whole thing, God had a plan in place. Before he said, let there be, there was a plan. When we think we bring a little bit to the table, we have a very small scope of what God actually purposed to do. That's an underestimation, number one. Number two, we underestimate the sufficiency of Christ's finished work on the cross. Small scope, small cross, small Savior. We don't realize the, the overwhelming flood of grace and love on display at the cross. We, we think it's just sort of a get us on our way kind of a work on the cross. Imagine this, as we said already It is finished. It is finished. It is complete. It is perfected. It is done. There's nothing left. It was all paid. The penalty has been paid. The power has been broken. Christ did it all in full measure, and he dealt with all of our sin. But but put some layers on that. He dealt with all of your sin, all the sin that you've done, are doing, and will do. But not just you, individual person, you, but all of God's people that he was set to save. He did that for all of them. And he did that all once on the cross. He didn't go to the cross 452 million times. He went to the cross once. So one time on the cross, one life sacrificed in our place, paid for all of our sin, all of eternity, all of the scope of God's people, of all of time. When we think we bring something to the table, we have a very tiny little Jesus. Then we have one gross exaggeration. We overvalue our ability to bring anything good at all. As if our little efforts would put that over the top. Thanks, Jesus. Here's a little, here's a little boost. 
We underestimate the scope of God's plan. We underestimate the sufficiency of our Savior. And we overestimate our good. You know what this does to us? It leaves us, living like this, leaves us spiritually anxious. It leaves us spiritually anxious because we feel like everything's still on the hook. Everything's still riding on something. We don't hear the words, it is finished. But we hear Jesus say, it's possible. Maybe. And that just leaves us in spiritual anxiety, which will ultimately keep us spiritually dead. We won't ever enjoy the finished work of the cross if we think there's still more to do. There's no more to do. Jesus paid it all. It is finished. So now how do we go about enjoying it? Well, Scripture is our guide. And Scripture calls us to boast in it. Scripture calls us to boast of it. Calls us to boast. To boast. There are two kinds of boasts in the Bible. The bad kind where you boast about yourself. And then the like awesome kind where you're boasting about the grace of God. Evident in Christ on the cross and evident in the lives of God's redeemed people living for His glory. We boast about those things. We boast about what God has done. And so here, Scripture is our guide and says, you clinging to the cross, seeing on the cross the finished work of Christ, fully, finally, forever securing for you a salvation, a redemption. Boast in that. Great joy in that. Behold that. Treasure that. Behold it with great affection. Boast in it. Galatians 6.14. Very important letter in the Bible. It deals with trying to go back to adding things to what Christ has done. Paul says there, he says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of Christ, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Boast. So what do we do in this boast? Well, that word for boast is a very fascinating word. It means to glory in something. Now, we don't talk like that anymore. To glory in something. That means we we marvel in it with great affection and adoration. For one, our hearts marvel in it with great affection. with, With increasing adoration. So one of the aspects of our response to this that we celebrate on Good Friday, what Christ endured and overcame and completed on the cross, is that we would have hearts that are full and increasing in great affection and adoration that we would glory in the cross. Glory in it. The cross was a symbol of shame in Jesus' day wasn't a symbol of glory. But God was in the business of doing some pretty radical redemptive reversals, wasn't he? And he took what was shame and he made it a glory. 
So, friends, if you're clinging to that cross, glory in it. Secondly, glory in something means you go about making much of it. You make much of it. it, it the, the welling up of you glorying in it is you glorifying it. It shows up when you gather with God's people to sing and to worship and to pray and to hear the word preached. You glory in it. And when you're in each other's lives, you're encouraging each other with it. Christ is sufficient for you. You don't have to go chasing other things. Let me walk with you and let's go back to the cross and let's peel back more of the layers of how amazing this is and how relevant it is for your heart right now. You glory in it. You make much of it. It starts to then have an impact on the kind of community you are as a people. You're a glorying in the cross kind of people. You're a glorying in the finished work of Jesus kind of people. You're saying to each other, you're, you're a wanderer. You're tired. You're beat down. You're bedraggled. You're dragging. Let's go to the cross. It's finished. Jesus did it all. We glory in it. And we make much of it to others who are sin sick, sunk down, submerged in their sin and shame. And we say, there's life there at the cross. Come with me. Let's go and see. We glory in it. What do we do at the cross? Do we gather on a, on a Friday once a year like we're walking into a funeral Somber and sad. No, yes, the cross is weighty. Absolutely. The price that was paid was far too much for us to bear. Yes, it is weighty. But no, it is not a dirge. It is a place of great joy for those who find life at the cross. So, friends, brothers and sisters, glory in this masterpiece. The displaying and demonstration of God's love for sinners such as us. Glory in it. Hearts increasing with affection. Lives eager to make much of it. Because that's the end of this day. We leave here. We leave here with nothing left to pay. There's nothing left for you to face. Nothing. Your standing with God is because Christ finished the work. The work of redemption is completed and all that is left for you is to behold it and boast in it for God has saved you through the death of your Savior. Marvel at such wonderful things and make much of it with your life. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would indeed do that work in us. Whatever heart that may be here or watching online that is hard and far from you, far from your cross, God, would you, would you reach into that heart and bring life? Draw near. God, would you help us all to see the fullness and vastness and joy 
of what has been accomplished for us at the cross. May we be a people beholding a masterpiece with adoration, worship, and with lives eager to make much of you. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. There's nothing we can add. There's nothing I can add right now but to offer you a chance to sing about it. And so we will sing this, the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Please stand. <laughs> 